Well, beloved, I uh, must confess that uh, coming to the pulpit um, can sometimes be uh, an overwhelming thing. You know, it, um, coming, um, my, my favorite way to prepare my heart, really even before I started preaching, um, growing up, my, um, my mom believed in being 10 minutes late everywhere, and my dad believed in being 10 minutes early everywhere. <laughs> So we drove two cars to church, um, and I was on my dad's side. I really liked being early. Um, and we would go, and we would just sit and listen to the worship team practice. It's one of my absolute favorite ways to just quiet my own heart before coming to worship in general, let alone preaching. Um, and here this morning, I have been fiddling with generators and circuit breakers and trying to get toilets to flush. and. Um, as my mind is so distracted, I want to encourage you all to, to really think about where is the power in preaching? It's not in me. It's not in me. Um, that when we come to God's word, there, it is there that we find power. There is power in his word being wielded by his spirit. You know, the Apostle Paul, when going to prison, said, you know, there's people out there preaching, you know, kind of just to get back at me, maybe. And he's like, I don't care. They're preaching Christ. The efficacy, the power in this is not found in the vessel, but in God's word. And I just wanted to share, that is my encouragement to myself as I come to the pulpit, you know, without power, without lights, without slides, without a microphone, and with this recorder right here. I need to remind myself, and I, beloved, I want to remind you all, the power is in the very Word of God being wielded on us by His Spirit. It is not in us. And let that be an encouragement. Whether you are behind bars ministering, or whether you are visiting the elderly in the congregation that aren't here this morning, that we need to be checking up on. Or whether you're in the throes of parenting. Wherever you are, the temptation is to rely on our own gifting and our own strength in the same way that I can be tempted to get into the pulpit and trust in my own gifting and my own eloquence and my own... No. The power is in God's word. So, beloved, with, with no further ado, let's open God's Word. Let's open to Genesis chapters 9 and 10. Um, we'll be in chapter 9, beginning in verse 18, going all the way through the end of chapter 10. Come, let's hear from our Lord. Genesis nine eighteen, read from the ESV. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. And he drank of the wine and became drunk, and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. 
Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders and walked backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew that his youngest son had done to, what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, shall he be to his brothers. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood, the sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tiras. Sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Riphath, Tagarmah, the sons of Javan, Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodanin. From these, the coastal, coastland peoples spread in their lands, each with his own language by their clans in their nations. The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Rama, Sabtaka. The sons of Rama, Sheba, and Dedan. Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on the earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Before it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, Talna, in the land of Shinar. From that land he went into Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth-ir, Kala, and Resen, between Nineveh and Calah, that is the great city. Egypt fathered Ludim, Anamim, Lehabim, Naphtahim, Pathrushim, Kasluhim, and from whom the Philistines came, and Kaphtarim. Canaan fathered Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites, and the Girgashites, and the Hivites, and the Archites, and the Sinites and the Arvadites, and the Zemarites, and the Hamathites. Afterwards, the clans of the Canaanites dispersed, and the territories of the Canaanites extended from Sidon in the direction of Gerar, as far as Gaza, and in the direction of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboim, as far as Lashah. These are the sons of Ham by their clans, their language, their lands, and their nations. To Shem also, the father of all the children of Eber, the elder brother of Japheth, children were born. The sons of Shem, Elam, Asher, Arpachshad, Lud, and Aram. The sons of Aram, Uz, Hul, Gether, and Mash. Arpachshad fathered Shelah. Shelah fathered Eber. To Eber was born two sons. The name of the one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided. And his brother's name was Joktan. Joktan fathered Almadad, Shelfeth, Hazar Meveth, Jera, Hadoram, Uzal, Dikla, Obal, Abamael, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, Jobab. All these were the sons of Joktan. 
the territory in which they live extended from Mesha in the direction of Shepher to the hill country of the east. These are the sons of Shem by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. These are the clans of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies in their nations. And from these, the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. Well, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father God, with all the distractions, with all the confusing names, with all the geographical locations given that we don't know off the top of our head, God, we still trust that your word is good, that it is life-giving by your spirit, that as your rain that you send brings growth to the plants on the earth, so your word falls on your people and causes growth. And so God, I pray that you would do that now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, beloved, we've come to our second genealogy as we go through the book of Genesis and Some of the same rules apply. I I would encourage you as you read your Bible every year, I would encourage you to, I think that is a helpful practice, as you read your Bible, don't just skip the genealogies. Read them. Read them. And there are a number of things that every genealogy does, and there's particular things that each individual genealogy does. And uh, what's going on in this genealogy before we get to, to Noah? Because the, 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 the story of Shem, Ham, and Japheth is interrupted by this genealogy that as God, remember who this is being written to, it's being written to the Israelites. I mean, that, that needs to be the context of our minds. As the Israelites are coming uh, into their homeland, as they are wandering in the wilderness and they are meeting all of these people groups, imagine how helpful this would be to them. Oh, God is giving them a total lay of the land. They are, un- they are getting a worldview that God has given. God and his providence knows where every single one of these families has gone and where their lines have come from. And one of the scary messages that comes in this is that family is a profoundly shaping thing. Sins in families will echo through generations. Now there is a hopeful addendum to that that we will get to later. But think about the sins in your life. How how do they mirror your own parents? Think about maybe the blessings you have in your life if you've grown up in a covenant home and you've had a good example of a mother and a father. Rejoice if that is your story. None of us have had perfect parents, and so I think all of us probably have a little of both. But the sins of the parents echo through the generations. That in the very first verse that we have, it tells us Ham was the father of Canaan. God God wants the Israelites to understand how the world has gotten to where it is. So that's, that's a particular thing to this genealogy. God is laying out the lay of the land where everyone has come from. 
And then in every genealogy, I would encourage you maybe pencil these words next to it. That a genealogy is the ancient world's way of telling you, beloved, this is true. This is history. This happened. This isn't like true in some weird archetypal way, but not in a real historical way. No. It is capital T truth. It happened. And so as you read the genealogies, just let it proclaim to you, this is true. This is not like other ancient documents. This is true. Inspired and inerrant historical truth. Christianity is founded on historical claims. Many other religions, all the historicity could wash away and they would still have the the same core religion. In Christianity, we don't have that luxury. Either it happened in history or it didn't. Christ was historically bodily raised from the dead or he wasn't. And if he wasn't, we of all people have no hope. But beloved, this this wonderful book that God has given us is just riddled with all these statements. If you believe, let this proclaim to your soul, this word is true. You can take this to the bank. But we have a fairly relatively well-known story here to deal with with Noah. And so that's where I want us to spend the, the chunk of our time back in chapter 9, 18 to the end of the chapter. Let's just go through it verse by verse. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah. And from these, the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Again, this is a global flood. All mankind bottlenecks in Noah and his sons. And then what we're going to have, if you're a note taker, I actually kind of broke this out, if you're a note taker. We have two sins, we have two reactions, and we have two verdicts. Two sins, two reactions, and two verdicts. First, Noah. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered, naked, in his tent. There's so many questions we have here. Some people have gone, well, um, maybe Noah didn't know. Noah knew. He's 950 years old. Well, he's 600-something at this point. Somewhere between 600 and 950. He knows. They know. Don't try to gloss over this. He wasn't just playing around. He didn't plant a whole vineyard so that he could have grape juice for about a week before it turned into vinegar. Unless you did something particular. Noah knew what he was doing. So why? Why? Noah is this great redemptive figure. Why does God go out of his way to zoom in on one of his sins? Well, a few reasons. The Bible goes, God in his word goes out of his way to make sure every redemptive figure is tarred. Every one of them is, their sin is exposed. Even David, a man after God's own heart, murderer, 
adulterer, liar, calling for the genealogy. Why? Well, we need to see, as as we see these types and shadows of redemptive figures, as we go through the Bible, we need to never go, oh, that's, you know, that's the one. We we see that we we need someone better. As you read the Bible just as a history, as a story, a true story, there needs to be this growing hunger of we need someone better. We need someone who will make it to the end sinless, and we haven't found that in Noah. So I think that's one of the main reasons it wants to show that every single, and it, you know, it, um, for, for the women out there, it, it, it's interesting. It goes out of its way to do this with almost all the men, but there's plenty of women that it's perfectly happy to leave as very good examples and then move past. It doesn't have to go out of its way. But every man it goes almost out of its way to tar the man that we need to find another. We need a sinless Savior. We need a sinless Redeemer. But interestingly enough, I don't think the main point of this story even revolves around Noah's sin. See, that's the first sin, but it leads to another sin. When we see people that sin, maybe you don't find people drunk and passed out naked. You know, maybe if we were preaching down, you know, and we had a bunch of college students, that might be a a more likely scenario, or Marines in the barracks scenario. But all of us will stumble upon people whose sin and shame is exposed. None of us get a pass here. All of us had moments this week where if someone was standing right there, We'd be ashamed. We'd feel exposed. We'd feel naked. So one of the questions we have to ask ourselves is how will we, you know, we have seen God react to Adam and Eve's nakedness and he offers grace. He covers their shame. But how often do we respond? Well, let's continue in verse 22. Ham... And then again, it goes out of its way. The father of Canaan saw the nakedness of his father and he went out and told his brothers outside. And this isn't, this certainly isn't like, hey, dad's naked, we should probably cover him up. This is someone has gotten news about someone else's sin and they are just delighted to let everyone know how the strong man has fallen. We will, beloved, we will do this. In, in, in our own families, we will see each other's sins. In this congregation, we will see each other's sins. And will we just delight to just letting everyone in the world know? But the brothers, verse 23, Shem and Japheth took a garment. They laid it on their shoulders and they walked backwards, and they covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward as they did not see their father's nakedness. Beloved, this, um, we are never to hide sin. That is nowhere taught in this story. This is, this is not about, you know, sometimes this can be twisted, and if someone's sin is exposed, 
This happens chronically in ministry. Someone's, the, the minister's sin is exposed to one of the, the congregants, and then, you know, the gracious thing to do is to hide it. I just want to make it very clear, this is in no way teaching that. This is not a call to hide sin. Beloved, we need to bring it into the light. That's not the, the point here. The point is the, the glorying in the shame of others. Or... Will, be, will we be ones? And, and we've had a whole story of redemption here in the first nine chapters of the Bible. God creates it. We break it. He gives a promise. There are a few people of faith, but the wickedness is just running rampant. And so God judges and redeems his people by the hand of a redeemer, Noah, tells the whole story of redemption in a small way. But then we see that this is just a shadow. It's just a type. This isn't the true, final, full redemption. Noah has feet of clay. And now, as opposed to God showing up to people whose sin is exposed and they are naked, now it's, it's giving you two different responses to the sin of others. We've had two responses. We have one that will just glory in the shame of another. And we have others that will cover them in their shame and nakedness. Not leaving them exposed. Twice in the first nine chapters of the Bible, people are naked and ashamed and they are covered. This is no minor theme. And so Noah, the, the prophet in the scenario, the sin, he's sinned, yes, but he is still the, the prophet of the story. Noah wakes up in verse 24. Noah awoke from his wine. He knew what his youngest son had done to him, and he said, Cursed be Canaan. Servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. Canaan is cursed. And the, and the Israelites need to know this as they are coming in to judge Canaan. Multiple times, actually, in the story of Genesis, it will be setting up a moral judgment of Canaan. There is a whole trail of crimes that leads to Canaan's destruction. It is actually, the, uh, there's, there's a whole story arc of God's patience and forbearance with the people, the, with the Canaanites. God's patience with the Canaanites didn't just begin while the Israelites are in the wilderness. It didn't just begin with Abraham. Because Abraham is told, your descendants will go into Egypt. They will be there 400 years. Why? Because the sins of the Canaanites is not yet complete. There's a whole story arc that begins here with the Canaanites. But I would encourage you to, to look at Joshua maybe this week. To look at the story of Rahab versus the story of Achan. I think those stories need to be read together. Do you remember them? Do you remember those stories? You see, the sins of the father, they echo down throughout the generations and we feel that. And that can be radically discouraging. 
It's the reality, but it's discouraging. Is there any hope with it? Well, in Joshua, we see, we see there is hope in this. Remember Rahab, the prostitute, someone who reveals her own nakedness for money. Well, she, she meets the people of God. She believes that God is with them, and she is faithful. All of her sins are covered. She is protected from the judgment of Jericho. She is fully engrafted into the people of God and welcomed in. And then there's immediately another story about an Israelite. An Israelite of Israelites, Achan, a a head of a family. He's grown up in the good family. He, He had everything laid out for him. He's a covenant child. He walked In the Exodus, he wandered in the wilderness. He heard God thunder from Sinai and he goes to Jericho and he sees a little bit of gold that he wants. And so he takes it. And that whole branch of the family, of the people of God is cut off. And a prostitute and her family are grafted in. Beloved, there is a Reality that we need to not pretend doesn't exist, that sin echoes through families, but there is also this great and beautiful redemptive arc. How many of us are genealogically Jewish? At some point, if you're grown up in a covenant family, at some point your family was plucked as a wild olive shoot and brought into the people of God, just like Rahab was, and her sin is covered. And just because you're born into the family doesn't mean that your sin is forever covered if you reject the blessings of the covenant. There's this whole storyline. There's so many story arcs that begin right here that echo through the Bible. And then there's this great blessing. Verse 26. The curse on Canaan and now the blessing. The, the sin of Noah and the sin of uh, Ham, the two reactions, the reaction of one brother versus the others, and now there's two verdicts. One gets a curse and one gets a blessing. Noah said, verse 26, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. Why does God bless this behavior? Why why is God so... Interested in the clothing of people in their nakedness. Beloved, we had the call to worship from Isaiah 61. You know, Isaiah, you know, some people call 40 to 66 the gospel according to Isaiah because the gospel shines forth so brilliantly there. And in the gospel according to Isaiah, chapter 61, this is one of God's promises for his people. This is one of God's people rejoicing in what God has promised to do, rather. But 61.10, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. For He has clothed me with the robe of righteousness. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness, with the garments of salvation. 
as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress. Maybe a modernized version might say a groom puts on his tux. There's something about getting dressed up that gives you a little confidence, a little less shame. And the images of God delighting in his people, covering their sin. The story will come up over and over and over again. And one of the calls, where's the, so that is the gospel image here is that, beloved, this is what God does for us. We see it in the beginning with Adam and Eve, their nakedness is covered. We see it right here with Noah. They're, they're, two of his boys get it. They cover his nakedness. They're not hiding his sin, but they are not glorying in the sin of others. Beloved, that is the gospel, is that God looks at us. And he chooses in all of our filth that we have chosen. He says, I will clothe you with the garments of salvation. I will cover you in the robe of righteousness. If you have come to Christ by faith, don't let your sin and your shame cause you to shrink back from God. You will stand before him in the judgment righteous. And so the call to obedience then for us is, beloved, if we have been so greatly forgiven, can we be this to others? Can we forgive others? Do, we, do you just continually remind someone of some sin of their past? How many families have been broken by that? Can we cover it and let it go? Beloved, that is the call. And we do this not so that God will love us, but because in Christ it does. This is in his character and nature. His character and nature does not look at you in your sin and your failures and go, ha, dad's passed out drunk and naked again. God grieves for his people in their sin. He delights to cover them in righteous garments of salvation. Can we be that for others? Let's close in prayer. Father God, I pray that we as a community would reflect your character and your image here. That we would be those that clothe others. That we would not jeer at others' sin, that we would not glory in other people's failings, that yes, we would be honest about sin and what it is and its consequences. But God, I pray that we would be like you, graciously covering Adam and Eve so that their their shame is not exposed. God, I pray that we would be that sort of community And that we would do this out of such a great love for you, knowing that our sin and our shame has been covered by you, by your Son, Jesus Christ, being applied to us by the Spirit according to the plan of you, Father. What a wonderful God we have. Father, help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.